4, verses 7 through 8. We're going to talk about a few other passages as well today, because this is a different type of sermon series. It's more topical. If you remember, last week we started a, a new sermon series based on life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups and their healing choices. Life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups and their healing choices. Uh, this, this sermon series is patterned after a book by that name, titled Life's Hurts, Habits, and Hang-ups and their healing choices. And it's an eight-week series based off of eight principles. Actually, it's nine weeks because Bill Rotar will be preaching in a couple weeks, and he'll be preaching on something different. Um, anyways, but so we'll see these different principles that are useful that God uses. They're, they're all scriptural. They're all extremely biblical uh, ways to help us with our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Now, some of you, you might go through the process of the principles and think, I still have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And God wants to use his body. God wants to use the Christian family and his people to help you. So you might need to talk to a counselor. You might need to get other help with your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I'm certainly available, and I would love to talk to you as well as refer you if you want a professional counselor. You can see me in total confidentiality unless you're going to tell me that you're going to hurt yourself or someone else or go to a Browns game. But um, just wanted to throw that last one in there. Um, you can go to Browns games when they're playing the Steelers, but uh, I'm just kidding. So anyways, we continue that. Last week we talked about admitting the need, and today we talk about getting help, admitting the need. You know, first and foremost, you've got to admit that, that, that you need help. You've got to admit, we have to admit, I need to admit too, I'm not God and I need help. We all must admit and reach out and let God help us. So today we're going to talk about getting help. Let me read an illustration to, to set this up. It doesn't, rain, it doesn't rain much in Southern California, and it rarely rains enough to cause any flooding. But several years ago, it rained so hard that a portion of Lake Forest actually flooded. Glenn lives in a low area. The flooding was so bad that the Orange County Register sent a reporter in a boat out to Glenn's neighborhood. The reporter found Glenn's wife, Joanne, sitting on the roof watching large objects floating by. So he climbed up on the roof to interview her. As the reporter questioned Joanne, he saw a Weber barbecue float by, and then he saw a large golden retriever pass by on top of his doghouse. And finally, a sport utility vehicle. A few minutes later, he saw a hat float by, but after it floated about 20 feet past the house, it started floating back upstream. When it got about 20 feet on the other side of the house, it started floating back down again. The reporter, the reporter watched the hat go by seven or eight times, up and down, floating back and forth, 20 feet up, 20 feet down. He finally asked Joanne, do you have any idea how that, is, how that hat is floating up and down the stream? Oh, that's just my crazy husband, Glenn. He was going to mow the lawn today, no matter what, even with high water. The problem with many, there's a point in the story, the problem with many of us is that we are still focusing on the lawn while our home is floating away. We are still focusing on the lawn while our home is floating away. We have the crazy notion that we are in control. Last week we talked about admitting our need, as I stated. When we admit that we need help, we may have another struggle. The next struggle is dealing with our grief and pain and, and, and turning it over to God. 
Again, the first and foremost is admitting our need. And the first and foremost is repentance. And by the way, let me say, sometimes that is the hardest. And sometimes maybe we find it very easy to confess to God. But God wants us to go one step further. Sin needs to be confessed as much as it is public. If our sin is public, it needs to be confessed publicly. That's what God would tell us to do. If our sin is private, it just needs to be confessed to God. If I have an argument with Megan, which never happens, and we yell at each other and I say very bad things and my kids are watching, I need to repent to my children as well, not just to Megan. Sin must be confessed as much as it is public. And that is critical. And I think it goes very far to our spiritual growth as well. The first step is admitting the need. The next, so the next struggle is dealing with our grief and pain and denial and turning it over to God. We must deal with our grief and pain and denial and turn it over to God. Most of the time when we start facing grief and pain, we go backwards. We don't go forwards. When we start dealing with grief and pain, we start denying that we need help. And we run right back into that hurt habit or hang-up. Some of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups are sin, are sin and caused by sin. Many of them are. I talked about that last week. Some of them are not. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance. Maybe you're just dealing with grief. Regardless of what it is, God wants to help you. He wants you to get help. You may wonder, what does it mean to turn it over to God? What does that mean? Well, that is what this whole series is about. This whole series is about eight principles of turning it over to God. And they're all biblical. They come right from the Bible. If it wasn't biblical, it would be, they'd be worthless, really. Turning something over to God does not mean you will receive instant help. Sometimes you must go through a process. God wants to use his people to help his people. So you may think, I told God about it, now what? And I'm repeating for emphasis. You have to confess to each other. James 5.16 says to confess our sins to one another. And I think that is probably one of the major passages that we just ignore. James 5.16 says confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. You're going to hear me repeat it a lot here in this sermon series. Ecclesiastes 3.12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. A lot of us continue to deal with the same old things again and again and again and again because we isolate ourselves like an island and we don't want to let our Christian friends and family help us. And you know what that is? That's pride. That is totally, completely pride. If some of us, our pride goes another level. We're just the most critical people. We got criticalness and pride. So you may have to confess to a Christian friend, and we all need that. Let me tell you, we all, myself included, we all need a Christian friend who is a prayer partner who we can bear our soul with and can, who can stand right there and pray for you and pray for me and pray for us and also can tell us we're forgiven and help us. They're prayer partners and accountability partners. We all need that. If you want to argue that, you're arguing with the Bible, so you can take it up with God later. I would even almost go a step further and say if you're not, if you do not have Christian friends as your prayer partners, you definitely need to take it up with God because I would even go further, you might be in sin. I said might be, not totally. Some of us may need to talk to a counselor. Nothing wrong with that. Or talk to me or as a pastor to help you. You know, I'm available. I'd love to talk to you and help you and support you in any way I can. But we also must learn spiritual habits, and God will help you with the spiritual habits. We do not have spiritual habits. We do not have our time with God. We do not have our time in the scriptures. We do not have our time in prayer. We're not, we're not being fed. 
We want God to help us, but we're not really connected to God. We don't have a relationship with God. It's like someone I was talking to a while back, and I was talking to this person, um, n- not from our church, actually, another acquaintance. And I, talk, and I was really encouraging her and hopefully challenging her in her faith a little bit because there's no connection with the church in this person's life, none whatsoever at all, been pretty much uh, once or twice a year at the most. And, and I was concerned for her salvation. She said, oh, no, I'm saved. I gave my life to Christ, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and I don't know how I said it, but logically, if you're not connected with the spiritual disciplines, which are individual and corporately, you do not have a relationship with God. If you are not spending time with God in prayer and scripture reading and with his people, and I would go beyond Sunday morning, Sunday school, small groups, etc., you do not have a relationship with God because that's how you nurture the relationship with God. It's like a bride and group. Tim shared this with me earlier today. You know, you, the, the church is a bride of Christ. The church is a bride of Christ. Christ is a groom. I mean, imagine going to the altar and saying your I do's, and then one of the partners just walks away. They never really... They check in Christmas and Easter. Well, that's how we are sometimes. We need that relationship with God. We need that relationship with God. We need those spiritual disciplines. So Ryan Quaid read 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I want to read it one more time as we move on here. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. But have nothing to do with worldly fables. Fit only for old women. I love his little humor there. On the other hand, get this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. It takes discipline. To spend time with the Lord. It takes discipline to grow in our relationship with Christ. It's not instant. It's not microwave. It's not like that. It takes discipline. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It takes discipline to repent of sin. It takes discipline to let the Lord work on you. To do stuff. To spend time with him when maybe that's not natural to you. Paul continues in verse 8. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. Now, he doesn't say bodily discipline is no profit, okay? There's nothing wrong with exercise. He's not saying that. You've got to take care of your bodies. We are stewards of our bodies. But he says bodily discipline is of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. Godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You, know, you want to invest in eternity? Discipline yourself for godliness. And when you do that, you have abundant living now, too. The Christian life is discipline and training as we grow. As we grow and deal with our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, we will have grief, pain, and denial. We will have grief, pain, and denial. We will have grief. This is God's pathway to comfort. And by the way, when you have this, when you have grief, pain, and denial, you know what we usually do? We go back. We go backwards. We think, I'm having grief, so this can't be of God. So we go back to our alcohol. We go back to our anxiety. We go back to our temptations. We go back to our lust. We go back to the pornography. We go back to our anger. We go back to our food addiction. We go back to whatever we're dealing with because we're having grief. We're having pain. We're having denial. We think that's not of God. Well, this is God's pathway to comfort. When I was 29 years old, I had to have my tonsils taken out. It's a great experience. I think everybody should do it. And... um, and as I'm dealing with it, this ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctors could be used of the military for torture, okay? This ENT did not tell me how bad it was going to be. So when it's two weeks after the fact, I'm still dealing with pain and, and, and off and on bleeding and whatever. I, I'm reading on the internet, which is a surgeon's best friend, well, the person who had surgery's best friend. And it said, while you're going through the recovery, don't start thinking 
It was better off just dealing with the strep throat. It was better off not having it done. No, you had a problem, so you had to have surgery, but it takes a while to recover after the surgery. Just because you have grief pain, just because I was mourning the loss of my tonsils and adenoids, you know, um, just because of that doesn't mean I want them back. We mourn our past mistakes. We mourn our loss of control. We discover God's pathway to comfort, and we must let God meet our need. So we will have grief. We will also have pain, but pain is God's antidote for denial. Pain is God's antidote for denial. We have to go through pain, too. It is difficult getting rid of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups and turning them over to God. It is difficult getting rid of that addiction. It is difficult fighting anger. It is difficult not worrying or gossiping or being anxious. For some of us, it's way easier to be anxious, but it's way better not. It's way better giving that to the Lord. It is difficult going through this. And we will have pain. And depending on the severity of our hurt, habit, or hang-up, we will have more pain. If our hurt, habit, and hang-up is extremely severe, we are going to have more pain. We may need a treatment center. We may need to see our doctor for medication to help. Nothing wrong with seeing the doctor for medications to get help. But that goes along with admitting the need. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I mean, pain is God's way of letting us know something is seriously wrong and something needs your attention. If your appendix bursts and you don't have any pain, what's going to happen? The toxins from your appendix would infect your abdominal cavity and could eventually kill you. Pain alerts you that you need help. Pain is also God's fire alarm. I mean, imagine if the fire alarm went off right now and we just said, that darn fire alarm, somebody's throw a rock at it. You know, no. When the fire alarm goes off, you want to get out of the premises. Get out. You take care of that. We, but, you know, when our pain alarm goes off, instead of dealing with the source of the pain, we often try to cover up the sound. We try to mute the noise with people, with work, with food, with alcohol, with sex, and many, many different things. If you ignore the alarm, your house could burn down. An important point needs to be made here. Just because God allows pain to enter your life does not mean, it does not mean that God causes the pain. And it certainly doesn't mean that he enjoys seeing you in the pain. Pain is often a consequence of our poor choices or the poor choices of others. It could be the poor choices of others as well. It could also be our genetics. God allows the natural consequences of these choices and genetics to play out. This is not the same thing as God causing our pain. God loves us and wants to lead us out of our pain and into his healing. The miracle is that he brings good out of our pain by using it to lead us to his comfort and away from our denial. God will make good come out of that pain. With that said, take a look at yourself. How's your pain level? Is God using your pain to get your attention? I watch this show. It's titled A Football Life. It's about different football players. And there's one about Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly, a great quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. Well, Jim Kelly, right after he retired, his wife was pregnant and she gave birth to a son. He was very excited. He wanted to have a boy. He was so excited and envisioned playing, you know, teaching his kid football and sports and all kinds of stuff. Well, soon after his son's birth, his son was diagnosed with a very rare medical condition. And his son 
was not expected to live to be two years old. He lived to be something more like five, six, or seven years old. I'm not sure the age. But he was present with a lot of medical assistance when he was inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame. But Jim Kelly said when his son was diagnosed with this disease, his wife ran to the Lord and he ran from the Lord. That was the pain. And the pain had to play itself out until after his son's death, his son was with the Lord and their marriage was a mess. And they got counseling and actually then he ran to the Lord and then it was used of the Lord. We will experience pain, we will experience grief, we will experience denial. Denial is refusing God's power to help. We will blame another person rather than get help. You may blame your parents for their anger. You may blame them thinking my parents were angry and that's why I'm angry. My parents were angry and that's why I deal with things. You blame. But that blame doesn't get you anywhere. That blame doesn't help anything. You may, you may blame your parents for their alcohol abuse, which led to your alcohol abuse or your alcohol abuse, because maybe you're currently in it. You may blame your parents for something else. And certainly, maybe someone else was at fault, but that doesn't deal with the problem. It doesn't deal with the hurt, habit, or hang-up. Other forms of denial are just as strange. When someone asks us how we're doing, we often say, I'm fine, or so far, so good. Who are we kidding? We could say the same thing if we just jumped off a building and we're halfway down. We haven't hit bottom, so we're saying we're fine. So far, so good. Instead of denying your pain, allow it to motivate you to get help. Start making healing choices to face the issue that you've been ignoring for 10, 20, maybe 30 years. Don't refuse God's power to help and don't refuse God's people to help. So God does have denial busters, though. We rarely change when we're cool and comfortable, do we? We don't change when we're cool and comfortable. We change when we feel the heat. We start to change after our marriage falls apart or after our kids go off in the wrong direction. One man said this, The acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. The acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. Unfortunately, we usually don't change until our fear of change is, is exceeded by our pain. And we all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. Every single one of us that God wants us to change. Every single one of us. If you don't believe that, I dare say you're in denial too. Because we all live in a fallen world. We all have leftovers of that sin nature at war with the Holy Spirit within us. God uses three denial busters to get our attention. Three. Crisis, confrontation, and catastrophe. Crisis. God uses the pain of an unexpected crisis to shatter our denial. There could be illness caused by years of substance abuse. We could get terminated for blowing up and getting angry at work and we get fired. Maybe our spouse is saying, no more, I can't take this anymore. We may have a crisis. We may have a confrontation. The confrontation may be similar, losing a job, your family, uh, or losing your family. There could be catastrophe because of your hurt, habit, or hang-up. But God wants to get our attention because God has a better way. God's way is always best. So accept help. Realize that God exists. Listen to Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God exists. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
We got to recognize that God is. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. God exists. You matter to God. Every one of you, every one of us, we matter to God. We may think God doesn't care. He does. He cares about every single one of us. Understand the truth of a loving God who cares. God knows your situation. It may be a surprise to you, but it certainly was not a surprise to God. Listen to these scriptures. Psalm 31, 7. I will rejoice and be glad in your, which is the Lord's, loving kindness. Because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. The Lord is, has loving kindness. He has seen your affliction. He knows, the, he knows the troubles of your soul. Psalm 34, 18. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And my favorite, Psalm 56, 8. You have taken account of my wanderings. You realize that? The Lord knows of your wanderings. He knows where you're at. You have put my tears in your bottle. And they are, are they not in your book? God remembers your tears. He knows what you're going through. He wants to help. God cares about your situation. The situation you are in right now may seem hopeless, but it's not. He has the power to help us. Plug into God's power. Believe and receive. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You realize this? This is saying, God is working in you. Let him work out of you. He's already at work. Let him work out of you. So let's make some applications. Pray to, pray to God about what he's convicting you of. What's God working on your heart right now? What's God working on your soul right now? Pray to, again, acknowledge it. Pray to him about it. Write about it in a prayer journal. There is a link when you handwrite prayers to God or when you journal. Write about it. And you're going to hear this repeated a lot. Share. Again, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. One woman sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 3.12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We need prayer partners. We need small groups. We need the body of Christ to come alongside us. We need to be willing to accept help. Once again, as God convicting you of something, pray and turn it over to him. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. All of us have something that God wants to work in. The trouble is we think we can handle it on our own, but we cannot. I cannot, you cannot, none of us can. And God is more glorified when we work together as a church to love and support one another. Go through the New Testament and count all the one another passages. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, rejoice with one another. Being a Christian does not mean we have to continue on with the same problems. Let God help you. Some of us think our sin is small and so we'd rather sit and judge someone else. Beware. That is what the Pharisees did, and that's what the Sadducees did. And that's why they were sad, you see. The Sadducees were sad, you see. <laughs> Got to wake up. Well, no, it wasn't funny. That's what it was. In his book, What Good is God?, Philip Yancey writes about being invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. A conference on, mi on ministry to women in prostitution. Some of us may get kind of shocked at that. But remember, that's who Jesus went to. The tax collectors, the sinners, the women in prostitution. 
After some discussion with his wife, Yancey agreed to accept the invitation as long as he could have the opportunity to question the women and hear their stories. At the end of the conference, Philip Yancey had the following conversation with the women. I had time for one more question, he writes. Did you know that Jesus referred to your profession? Let me read you what he said. This is what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was talking, he was speaking to the religious authorities of the day, he was speaking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he said that tax collectors and sinners are entering heaven ahead of you. And he even mentioned prostitutes, the prostitutes and sinners. What do you think, uh, Philip Yancey says, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did Jesus single out prostitutes? After several minutes of silence, a young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up. In her broken English, this is what she said. Everyone, she has someone to look down on, not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No, ma no mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. Most places, we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names, whore, slut, hooker, harlot. We feel it too. We are the, we, we are the bottom we are the bottom. And sometimes when you're at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. Maybe he meant that. I think she's right. Maybe, just maybe, it was because of tax collectors and prostitutes. They knew they were sinners in need of a Savior. And they admitted, they admitted the need and accepted help. They came to Jesus. So where are you at? Where are we at? Are we admitting that we need help? Or is our pride blocking it? Is our critical nature, you've just been sitting through the sermon just waiting for something to complain about. Sitting through the worship service. Darn, they changed communion. Great, I have something to complain about. I aim to help with your sanctification, okay? You're just waiting. Turn it over to God. That's your own anxiety. That's your own worry. That's your own fear. That's your own anger. Turn it over to God. Does God have to let you going, go lower before you turn it over to God? Or are you there right now, ready to turn your hurt, habit, or hang-up over to God? Are you ready to turn your fear over to God, your anger over to God, your lust over to God, your pornography addiction over to God, you know, that secret sin at the computer, your um, addiction to food, what about addiction to spending money? Come to Jesus with them. Come to Jesus with your lust. Come to Jesus with your drug addiction. Come to Jesus with your alcohol addiction. Come to Jesus with your anxiety. Come to Jesus and live. Come to Jesus and have life. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants to give us life. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. I pray the Holy Spirit can get through to us today. Because some of us may be withholding sin. We might be unrepentant. And you're wondering why the Holy Spirit's not convicting you? It's because you've been so unrepentant so long. The convictions, you're just desensitized to them. Come to Jesus with your hurt, habit, or hang-up. Have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you confessed you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you repented to Jesus first and foremost, recognizing Luke 9, 23, where Jesus said, anyone can come after me, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or cross, and follow. Are you a follower of Jesus? Some of you are just fans. You're just on the sideline. You're watching. 
Have you believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior? You believe, you confess, and then you believe. Have you trusted in him and are you committed to him? Are you committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's the first thing you need to admit that you need, is you need Jesus. Some of you maybe accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior years ago, decades ago, but you're not living for him. I believe the Holy Spirit's prompting you, if that's the case, to repent and turn your life over to him. But we get prideful. We ignore the Spirit. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord God, I just pray that you would work on all of our hearts, myself included. Myself first and foremost. As pastor, the church needs more than anything else me to be pursuing you. Me to be pursuing godliness and holiness and righteousness. And as a church, that's what we need in each and every one of us, that we are pursuing you. That as we fall down, we repent and we let you pick us up. Lord God, that's what we're called to do, to be followers of you, not fans. To be committed to you, to trust in you as Lord and Savior, to repent. Lord, I know, I know, I know that this church body is dealing with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Lord God, I pray that you would work on them through the Holy Spirit. And if there's people here right now who have never turned their life over to you as Lord and Savior, or maybe they did years ago, but they're not living for you, may right now, this moment, be a moment in time where they can, they're convicted and they turn their life back to you. Repenting, confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you that you died on the cross, on the cross for their sins and rose again, committing to you and trusting in you. Right now, Holy Spirit, don't let the conviction stop. Make them so strong, so very strong. They can't help but turn their hurt, habit, or hang-up or their life over to you if they have not done that yet. Lord God, I remember that time in the spring of 2010 when the Holy Spirit convicted me of something so strongly, so strongly for over 24 hours to the point where I had to repent, not only to you but to others. I thank you for that. Do that same thing in this church body and continue to do it in me. Help us. Lord, we need your help. We need, we need you. We are needy people. We are needy people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I would love, love, love to talk to you. If you're dealing with a hurt habit or hang-up, don't hesitate to call me, and we can help get you support. Um, at this point, Steve's going to lead the closing hymn, and he's also going to lead the closing benediction. But these altars are open. If something I've said today or the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today and... Um, you're kind of convicted, or maybe you just want to pray about something. Maybe you're not convicted, but something's just going on. You want to pray? Feel free to come forward and pray. And I'd invite um, any, any, anyone else to come forward and pray with you if you'd like somebody else to pray with you or a church elder to pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself, that's fine. Come forward. We all need Jesus, and we all need his help. Please stand if you're able. Yeah,